Welcome to High Lawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. We pray that you are blessed by the sharing of God's truth for us this day. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. There are two meanings to that phrase. It's Latin, dolorosa, anguish, suffering, pain. But I want you to notice the latter half of that word, rosa. To the Latin mind, in order to, to, pluck, the to pluck the rose, you have to be mindful of the thorn. The rose of Sharon bore those thorns. As he was carted off from the Garden of Gethsemane, the writers of the Gospels tell us that uh, he was taken in irons, but he was led to a show trial in front of the high priest of the day. And they dug up people to claim that he was a blasphemer. That he was someone who were trying to, to take the power of Israel away from her God by claiming he himself was God. And they wished him them to Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of the time, since they weren't able to execute him without the authority of the Roman guard. Pilate at first wanted to turn his back on the whole matter, something that would come up, back up again. So he sent him off to Herod, who is the tetrarch of Galilee, the area that Jesus is from. And Herod, this, this particular Herod, Herod Antipas, knew of this Jesus, heard the stories about this Jesus. But just like those people and his own synagogue in Nazareth, he didn't want the prophet, he didn't want the son of God, he didn't want the priest, he wanted the show, he wanted the spectacle. He wanted him to, to, to perform for him. And when he was quiet there, like the lamb being led to the slaughter, Herod decided to make his entertainment. He would have to send him back to Pontius Pilate for execution, which is what he knew the Sanhedrin, the, the priests wanted. He claims to be a king. Let's dress him like one. So they took a, a curtain and threw, him around, threw it around him like a royal robe. And being Roman and knowing that Herod, excuse me, knowing that Pilate would get the joke, instead of a crown of laurel leaves, the centurions beat upon the brow of our Savior a crown that was made out of thorns, desert thorns, three inch thorns, twisted with leather gloves because the soldiers themselves couldn't bear to touch them. 
still demanding the show, the centurions blindfolded him, then smacked him. Prophesy! Who was it that hit you? Prophesy, king of the Jews! While bleeding from his brow, smitten and bruised, they took him back to Pilate. Pilate, who was contented just to let the matter go, who didn't want trouble, who believed in the peace of Rome, who wanted to maintain a peace in Judea, brought up another prisoner, Barabbas, a known zealot, a known murderer, a known enemy to both Rome and Israel. Someone that the crowd could never, ever want to be released. This is your festival. This is the Passover. And to help celebrate, we will take someone who is a prisoner from our dungeons and we will let them go. Surely they would want the teacher who 5,000 had entered Jerusalem with before with shouts and praise of Yeshua, Hosanna. So who will it be? The rabbi and the teacher, the good man who rode into Jerusalem just a few short days ago, or the murderer, the person who took your loved ones from you, who do you want? And with the influence of the priests in a bid to maintain their own power, they snuck within the crowds and they called out, Release Barabbas. Release the murderer. Let him go free. And they developed such a fever pitch within the crowd that Pilate had to ask, well, what is to become of the teacher, the rabbi, the one who, you cl who, who claims to be king of the Jews? In the same crowd that shouted Hosanna a few days earlier, became fickle, turned their back on him. The same one that waved palm branches and submitted to his authority by taking off their cloaks and laying them before the road ahead of him. Hosanna to the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those same people turned around and said, crucify him. Let his blood be on us and our children. And Pilate, as the Roman philosopher he was, was for a basin of water to be brought before him. And he dipped his hands in the water, gesturing that the matter was out of his hands. He washed his hands of the matter, claiming that he was only obeying the crowd. Let him be crucified. And he was stripped of his clothing, beaten, scourged with a cat of nine tails. Traces of his beard were ripped from his face. The gospel writer continues, as the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, 
an Ethiopian, in other words, who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus because Jesus himself was no longer physically capable of carrying the cross. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. And Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For, it, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women for the wombs that have never born and the breasts that have never nursed. They will say to the mountains, Fall on us and on the hills cover us. For if people do these things, when the tree is green, what happens when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, in some of your translations, Golgotha, in others, Calvary, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. I want you to really look at that phrase. Really look at that phrase. Because after everything that he's just been through, for illegal trials, the scourging, the humiliation, the Son of God, heir to the throne of the universe, from on top of a cross, on public display for all to see, says the words, for all of their sakes, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is, one of, if he is God's Messiah, if he is the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked them. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. This is a mockery of his own name, Yeshua, which means Savior. If you are Messiah, Jesus, save yourself. And there was written a notice above him which read, This is the King of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you supposed to be the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Do you not fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we have been punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, Savior, Yeshua, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, this day will you be with me in paradise. It was now about noon. Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun had stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he's, when he said this, he breathed his last. In other Gospels, you will find one more word in Greek. 
recorded as his last word. To Telestai. A word which is often translated in English as it is finished, but which is more literally translated to paid in full. The centurion, seeing what happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. Surely this was the Son of God. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and they went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood where? I want you to notice this. His closest friends, his allies, the people that he loved, the people that cared for him, the people that had walked with him all the way from Nazareth, down the banks of the Jordan, through the people of Samaria, who saw all of his works, who saw cities being saved, who saw lepers leap, who, who saw uh, those that were unable to pick themselves up suddenly draw strength to their bodies. The people that witnessed all these wonderful things, where were they in the crowd? Those who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance and watched these things. Where are we? Where are we in this picture? It's a very simple portrait. At the, fit, uh, at the foot of the cross, there were the scoffers, there were the priests, there were the centurions, in other words, there were those who were waiting for him to die, thinking that they had won a victory. It's hard when a good man has to endure such things. But can you imagine the depths of compassion on our Savior and the woeful condition of his estate when he looked at his feet and instead of seeing his closest friends, he saw his enemies. He saw Roman centurions throwing dice to see who would get the hem of his garment. In other words, the badge of office that he carried with him. There were those that were scoffing at him, asking, if you're the Son of God, save yourself. If you're the Savior, live up to your name. While those that he dearly loved were off at the distance. Where are we in that crowd? No one to come up to tell him that they loved him. No one to come up and tell him in his last moments, thank you for healing me. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you for showing me the mercy of God. No. He saw two people in front of him. Those that wanted his death and those who were too afraid to speak against him. Where are we? When we hear the cry of the needy, the people that were supposed to see Christ in their faces, where are we? When we see the lost, the people that Christ died to save, where are we? When we see a city that we are in falling into the depths of depravity, no hope, godlessness. Where are we? 
Christ died out of his love for you and me. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be called the righteousness of God. I want you to think on those words for just a second. The one mission that we have in common as a church. Remember, Paul says, as a reflection of marriage, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church for which he gave his life. So what are we doing with that freedom that has been purchased for us at so dear a cost? Where are we in the crowd when it comes to the church today? Are we those who stand in opposition to the Savior waiting for Him to die? Are we those who will eventually be the beneficiaries of that salvation, only we're standing at the end of the crowd silent, the saved who do nothing about it, who do nothing with it. Where are we? one last thing that I'd like for you to consider. Before we come tonight to experience this holy meal, which symbolizes our rededication to the Spirit of Christ, to know Christ and to make Christ known, when we come to his table, how do we observe what those elements mean? Do we try to pass them on to grow the family? To do the work to make sure the ministry reaches its fulfillment? Even if we're not the ones who are the speakers, are we the ones who are the doers in some way? The challenge of the cross is to be doers of the word and not hearers only. I, have, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I what? I live. But not me. Not the finite, fickle, feeble, frustrating person that I was before the blood of Christ was applied to my heart. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in you. Where in the singing are we? He who knew no sin in the sight of God became sin for us so that when God looks at us, He doesn't see the stains of sin anymore. He doesn't see the sinner He, sees the, he doesn't see the broken law the way that he did in the Old Testament. He sees the blood of his only begotten son. He sees the righteousness 
of Christ. Do we deserve such consideration? Do we deserve such love? No. But nevertheless, God loves you, each and every one of you. No matter your past, no matter the problems of your present, God still loves you with the same fierce, compassionate, overriding love that he had when his only begotten son, our Lord, endured the scourge of the whip, endured the nails in his hands, endured the thorns on his brow. That same love is constant, never diminishing. You who were made in the image of God, that love is there for you. The only thing that is required of us to reflect that love back is to be obedient to Him. Three simple commandments. And Jesus said, Those who love me keep my commandments. And the first one is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. And the second like it, love thy neighbor as what? Thyself. Every time we come to communion, we should always ask, how well am I fulfilling those two? And finally, a new commandment I give you, said in that upper room, church, this is for you. The new commandment that I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That every time you look at somebody who is a brother or sister in Christ, every time you look across these aisles and see both the people in the pew and the people that should be in the pew, you are commanded by Him to love each other with that same overriding, passionate, intense love that He has demonstrated by the cross. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church for which he gave his life. I'll skip over this next part. Because the story of the cross isn't over. The story of the cross isn't over. The words I'm going to read for you now come from the same psalm that Jesus quoted from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are the words of his, his ancestor David, hundreds of years beforehand. And if you ever look up Psalm 22, they describe the crucifixion in immense detail. You almost have to wonder, did the great, great, so many greats grandfather know the suffering of his son from the cross? Did the earthly ancestor know the pain that was about to befall the same Lord that he would one day call his Lord? This is the conclusion of that same psalm. Psalm 22, starting with verse 22. I will declare your name, dear God, to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. 
You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor Him. Revere Him, all of you descendants of Israel. For He has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden His face from Him, but He has listened to His cry for help. That same cry that was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father heard it! Death at this point in time, as we walk through Holy Week, thinks he's won a prize. The devil thinks that the journey is over, Messiah is gone. The Word of God says different. From you, O God, comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise Him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations, Gentiles and Jews, as they come together to form this magical, uh, mystical, undescribable creation that is the church. All of the families of the nations will bow down before Him for dominion belongs to the Lord and He rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All will go down to the dust, will kneel before Him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve Him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim His righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, He has done it! When we leave the cross, there is one more promise yet to be fulfilled. One more hope yet to appear. Death thinks he is the victor. The enemy thinks that the prince of the universe has been slain, and there's nothing more to be said about it. God says otherwise. This is me. Or rather, it's something that, that symbolizes me. It's a candle without a light meaning it is potential. Someone created it. Someone gave it that potential. Someone poured their effort into it. But without the flame, it's useless. Our Savior went to the cross so that through His blood, through that last great sacrifice, the debt that was on my shoulders would be paid. No different than if I had swung the hammer that put the nails into His hands and feet. In payment for my sin, I have now become a son of God just as all who call upon His name. And with that comes the promise of everlasting life. With that comes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. With that comes the purpose, the love, the joy, the peace of mind that passes all understanding that is ours in Christ. 
Without the cross, we have no hope. With the cross, we have everything. Because he gave his all, we now have a life of thanksgiving, a life of rejoicing, a life that can be lived with the purpose of being of service to the kingdom if we only let that light shine. You are the salt of the earth. You are the city upon a hill. You are the hands and the feet of Christ. Not only freed for joyful obedience, but empowered to make a difference, a powerful difference. God has given each and every one of you a powerful voice. Wonderful imaginations, a giftedness that once put to use can make a difference, not only in each other's lives, but in the lives of everyone you come into contact with. An influence that points back to the Savior, that draws all that would come to His table. In this hour, as an act of, inv an act of dedication, Whereas I was once without hope, without his light, I now have one. I invite you to come before the cross to pray. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from High Lawn Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about Highlawn Baptist Church or donate to our ongoing ministry, you can do so online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We believe that when you love God, you share His Word, and when you love others, you spread the gospel. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.